Good morning. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love you and we are so thankful that you have brought us to this place and that, Lord, you've given us the opportunity to worship you. Especially, Lord, after a week of being uh, on our jobs and uh, going through the busyness of life with families and uh, with all the different things that we have to do, Lord. Thank you for bringing us here today to gather, to hear from you, to worship your name and to praise you. And Lord, I pray that all of us here today would recognize that wonderful grace of Jesus and how, Lord, it reaches into each of our hearts, how it transforms us, it changes our lives. And I would pray, Lord, today that if there be one person here that does not know your grace, that does not know the power of your love and the power of your saving grace, that today they may come to know you. And I pray, Lord, that as the word is open this morning and as you speak, through me, that God, you would bring your word to each heart, that Father, it would be every bit from you, that Lord, you would speak to the inner depth of each person here, that you would challenge us, Lord, to take this message, take the gospel, and tell it to all people. Bless this service, Lord, may your spirit be in this place, and we love you, and we pray for all those, Lord, who cannot be here today, those who are sick, those who are suffering, that God, you would give healing to them pray, Lord, that you would call us as a church to reach out to the disenfranchised, the disheartened, and those who are ill, whether physically or mentally or spiritually or emotionally. And Lord, may you bring the healing. Thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.
thousand years ago, a message came to the world that absolutely turned the world upside down and changed it forever. Now it's because a little over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came into the world as God's son, and he brought a message that was completely different than any other message from all time. Every other religion in the world, whether it's Hinduism or Buddhism or, in, or Islam, says that man has to do the work, man has to get to God, man has to do all these things, but Jesus came, he said, no, 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 that's not how it is. I am going to do the work. I do the work. And Jesus, of course, would pay his very life for the work. And then after he died on the cross and was resurrected, apostles and disciples came and they preached the very same thing, preaching that God does the work and that man just has to obey and he has to come and give his heart to this man named Jesus. Folks, the gospel transformed lives then, and it has been transforming lives for the last 2,000 years. No other message ever has transformed lives like the gospel. Because it was Jesus coming into man. Folks, we live in a world today that is, yes, a postmodern culture. We live in a nation that is not a Christian nation that I would argue has not been a Christian nation since the 60s. But the gospel is still alive and well. The gospel is still changing lives. And if you will go to Acts chapter 16 in God's word today, you want to open your Bibles there, we will see how the gospel changed the lives of three people. It, of course, changed the life of Paul on Damascus Road. He goes to Philippi and he witnesses and preaches the gospel to three different people. All three people come to know Jesus Christ. They all get saved. And then 10 years after this account, guess what? Paul is writing a letter to this church saying, I thank my God for you. Why? Because this church had exploded in growth, all because of the gospel. And I want to ask you just a couple of questions this morning as we begin the first question I want to ask you is has the gospel truly changed your life has the gospel made you different has the gospel changed you from the inside out as uh, as the song says where you are a completely different person all because of the gospel and the gospel is what consumes you and drives you and is the very essence of who you are have you been changed by the gospel have you been changed by it? Have you come to know the precious love of Jesus in your own life and known his forgiveness? And the second thing I want to ask you is to those of you who are saved. I want to ask you, church, if the gospel has truly changed your life. Are you living it out and are you proclaiming it to friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, people who are lost because it has changed your life? Therefore, you can't help but want to see other lives changed. Are you proclaiming through your life that very same change in your life to them? Would you bow your head in prayer with me? And I would just ask that you would ask yourself those questions and that you 
would really take a deep look into your heart this morning and ask yourself those very same things. If the gospel has changed me, am I proclaiming it to people just as Paul did to see a change in others? And Father, we love you. We thank you for bringing us here today. And God, it's my prayer that you would open up the hearts of people here today just as you opened up the hearts of Lydia, the slave girl, and the jailer to receive the gospel. And I would pray, Lord, that if there be one person in this room, God, that does not know you, that has not met the grace and the love of the Lord Jesus, that today their lives would be touched, their lives would be changed, and they would come to know you. And I would pray for everybody in this room, Lord, though, who is saved, but who may just be going through the motions of everyday life, who may need to be revived in their own heart by the power of the gospel. I pray you would do that as well, Lord. I pray your spirit would speak through me, Lord. I'm just a mere man, and you've called me to prepare this message all week, and I've done the preparation, Lord, but only you can do the speaking. Anoint me, Father. Speak through me. May every word come from you, come from your voice. We love you. It's Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 16 is where we will be today. I would encourage you to open up your Bibles, and uh, I'm not going to read this all the way through. At first, I want to read this as I go and break this down for you. Uh, Paul, at this point, is going through Macedonia. His life has been radically changed by the gospel, and we're going to learn today the relevance of the power of the gospel in the world to cover a person's sin, no matter their circumstances, And then at the very end today, and as I go through that, but closer to the end, I want to show you the revival of the power of the gospel in the world to convert a community to Christ, changing all their circumstances. This is a story, Paul's longest account, of how the gospel completely changed a community. It completely changed this community. And beginning in verse 11, it says this. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony, and we were staying in this city for some days. So let me just stop right there. The city of Philippi was a large commercial industrial city during that time in the Roman district. It was actually more in Asia Minor, but it was one of the largest commercial cities in all of the region, and it was a large military retirement compound. So once you did your service in the military, these elite men would go there and would stay, and that's where they would live. It was a leading city. It was a large city. It was mostly Roman, and they were very loyal to Rome. They would actually, actually rather be called Romans than Philippians. That's how much they were loyal to Rome. And in verse 13 it says, And on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. So let me put you in this perspective here. So Paul is going to Philippi. He's on his way, and he gets into the city. He gets into this Roman Gentile city because he's looking for a synagogue, okay? Because the first group of people he wants to always reach is the Jews. He's a Jew. He wants to reach the Jews. 
That's why Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not of the shame of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he said first to the Jew, then to the Greek. He wanted to go reach the Jews first. So he goes to the synagogue, and there is no synagogue. Back then, you had to have 10 males, 10 heads of the household to make up a synagogue. They were largely Gentiles, so there were hardly any Jewish males there, so no church. That would be like coming to Mechanicsville, you're trying to find a church, and no churches. Imagine that. So Paul says, well, got to forget about this, got to go worship somewhere. So he gets out the city, goes about a mile and a quarter, and he finds a ladies' Bible study, probably kind of like a Beth Moore type of Bible study that he goes and sees on the side of this riverbank. And it says that he began speaking to the women. He sought them out, and he went to minister to them. Let's continue going. In verse 14, it says this, A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So here's the first person out of the three that we're talking about that were converted. You had Lydia. Lydia was a seeker. She was a very rich woman from the city of Thyatira. Now, the city of Thyatira was well known for its industrialization, its commercialism, but also its fashion. All right, it was a highly uh, fashionista colony, kind of like a New York City or an L.A. type of deal that she was living in. And they had a heavy Jewish influence there as well. They had this Jewish influence from back years ago, about 500 to 300 years before that, when the Jewish diaspora occurred. All the Jews were scattered, and a lot of Jews left Jerusalem, and they went to Thyatira because it was a well-known commercialized city, and they could have their freedom there. So Lydia's there in Thyatira. Most likely she picked up on some Jewish influences while there, and she takes her Judaism to Philippi. This rich woman who was a seller of purple fabrics, so she owned a big fashion industry. She was like a fashionista type of woman. If you've ever seen the movie The Devil Wears Prada, um, she was like the Meryl Streep. I've never seen it, but I just know what it's about. Um, And she was like the character of Meryl Streep, okay? Very rich, a seller of purple fabrics. Purple clothes were a symbol of royalty and of wealth. Why else would the Minnesota Vikings be purple? But anyways, that's just my own comment on that. But a very rich woman. She had guests. She had servants. She was very well off. But notice how it says she was listening. She was a seeker. She was seeking out this religion called Judaism, okay? She didn't really understand it. She knew about the Torah, so they were kind of having a Torah Bible study. She knew about the Ten Commandments. She knew about this thing called the Atonement, but there was something missing. There was something that was not lining up. There, There had to be something to solve this issue of the Atonement. Here comes Paul, and Paul begins to witness to her. She'd rejected paganism, she'd rejected polytheism, and she was a worshiper of God. And Paul begins to preach the gospel to her. And guess what? She 
gets saved. She gets saved. The Holy Spirit opens her heart and she gets saved. Now, the Holy Spirit is the only one that can open a man or woman's heart. John uh, 6, 44, Jesus himself said, no one can come to me unless my father draws him to me. We also learn from Ephesians 1, 13, that in him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, were sealed in him by the Holy Spirit. And Paul later says in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, he says, hey, except the whole, uh, he says that no one can confess that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work, draws Lydia to Jesus, and she gets saved. Paul was just walking by. He saw a women's Bible study, and he begins to witness, and she gets saved. He's intentional with the gospel, and she comes to know Christ. The Holy Spirit opens the door. And soon she went back and her whole household gets saved. And that's where the church starts, folks. Starts with Lydia. She goes back and tells her whole household. And then they all get saved. All because, ladies and gentlemen, Paul was intentional. Who is it in your lives do you need to be intentional with about the gospel? Who is it that you need to talk to in your life, in your sphere of influence about Jesus Christ and the powerful work of the gospel that he can do? Just like Paul, how he was intentional, how do we need to be intentional? I had a, uh, an executive director up at Liberty who uh, ran our student leadership program, and he was about 60 years old and could bench 420 pounds. The guy was huge. And he used to work for LAPD, and he was telling us a story one time of how he worked with a guy who was, who was an atheist and a philosopher. And every day he debated with this guy, and he talked to this guy about Christ, and they both had these deep philosophical conversations. And then one day, Dr. Campo came back, and this guy came up to him and said, hey, I just want you to know that I accepted Christ yesterday. Dr. Campbell said, well, great. He said, what, what was it? Was, was it the theological argument? Was it this argument or that? Or was it uh, this intellectual thing that I said? And the guy said, no, no, no. He said, it was the fact that you lived out your life and you were intentional with me with the gospel. Just like Paul, again, I'll ask, who do you need to be intentional with? So Lydia gets saved. And then continuing in verse 16, we see another person who's going to come to relate with the power of Christ, and that is the slave girl. Picking up in verse 16, it says this, It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. So here's this girl who is demon-possessed. She's enslaved. She's beat up. She's abused. She has men who are using her for profit. She gets none of it. She takes the money and gives it to these men so that they can use her to tell the future of others. She's abused, beat up, completely enslaved by this demon. Where Lydia was in control of her life, a successful businesswoman, the slave girl was out of control. She was irrational. And here comes Paul along the way. And it says in verse 17, Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days. 
But Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. So this girl follows Paul for many days and just keeps yelling out to them, these men are servants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Now, she just kept doing this and kept doing this and kept doing this. Imagine how annoying that was for Paul. Remember that they were in a Roman society. So these people were polytheistic. They believed that Zeus would have been that Most High God. So Paul didn't want these people to get confused. And then the way of salvation, the, the Romans believed that there are many ways to salvation. They believed that the emperor could be a savior. So Paul did not want these people to get confused. So this woman keeps screaming it and screaming it and screaming it. And you can imagine how annoying that was. I was an RA up on campus and I can't tell you how many times of night at like 12 o'clock I'd be asleep and, and I'd have to get up and open the door and someone would tell me that like, a guy spilt water on another guy, and this was a big problem at 12 o'clock at night. So I know how Paul felt here. Paul has enough, and he casts the demon out. This girl's life gets transformed. A girl who was once enslaved, abused, and beaten now gets transformed by the gospel. And I'm going to venture to say that she did get saved because she was in the middle of the conversion of Lydia and the jailer who we'll read about in a minute. But again, Paul being intentional, she gets saved. Of course, Paul has to pay for it. He gets dragged out by the chief magistrates who wanted to keep the social order in Rome. Their emblem was a symbol of literal rods and an axe in the middle brought together by red ribbon. That was their emblem, the same emblem that actually Mussolini resurrected in the 30s and the 40s to use as his symbol for his fascist dictatorship. So Paul and Silas get dragged down into the marketplace, get convicted, and then they get beaten with rods. Then in verse 23, as we continue, it says this, when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison, fastening their feet in the stocks. So now Paul and Silas, they get beaten. They get thrown into a dungeon, which was in the center of the prison. So all the runoff and the filth would run into this prison. They were chained in wooden stocks that would twist their body in the most uncomfortable positions ever and they were laid there to sit. This jailer, who was most likely a retired Marine, a retired ex-Jihad from the military, he's the elite of the, the elite, a big commander, a rough, rugged, aggressive man, a blue-collar Joe who was duty-driven in his life. He was brutal. He was bitter. And he throws them in prison. Let's continue on in verse 25. 
But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. And he was about to kill himself because he would rather commit suicide than be killed by the Roman officials for allowing prisoners to escape, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Most likely this jailer had heard Paul preaching, or maybe he had heard about the gospel through the hymns and the prayers that they were singing in the jail. Maybe he had heard from the annunciation from the slave girl, but most likely he had heard the gospel before this. He sees this miracle, this earthquake happen, the prisoners are still there, and he falls down at Paul and Silas' feet because he knows there's something different about them, and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And this is what Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in the house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and his whole household. This rough, rugged man, this jailer gets saved, comes to know Jesus Christ. He believes in God. He entrusts himself to God. He trusts in Christ. He gives himself to Jesus. And notice how he and his whole household gets saved. I'm sure he could have echoed the very same thing that John Newton said when he said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But by the grace of God, I am not what I was. Can you say that very same thing, ladies and gentlemen? Can you say that same thing? Praise God, I am not what I was. Jesus has come into my life just like he did in Lydia's, just like he did with the slave girl, just like he did with the bitter jailer, and he has changed my life, and now I believe in Jesus. I have literally entrusted, rolled over, surrendered my life to Christ, and I'm completely different. Does that describe you? Last part I want to do in the last uh, five or ten minutes that we have is I want to show you through this how Paul ministered. You know, a lot of us in here are saved. A lot of us have been saved, yes. But folks, a lot of us don't know what to do with that salvation we've been given. We may know how to pray, we may know how to study the Bible, but folks, God calls us to be multipliers. He calls us to take the gospel out into the world. If you read all throughout the book of Acts, you will find that when people got saved, they told others about what happened. And I want to ask you, and I want you to think about this. When is the last time you had a conversation with somebody and you shared your faith? When is the last time? Anybody have unsaved friends, family members? Anybody? Anybody? Have you told them about that? Have you told them about Jesus? I want to walk 
you through here just really quickly how Paul ministered to people. The first thing that Paul did was he sought out lost people who were in need of the gospel. He sought out lost people. Folks, we have plenty of lost people in Mechanicsville. I went to Walmart last night at 1030. Believe me, we have plenty of lost people. Paul sought them out. Paul sought Lydia and the women out at the river. He sought the slave girl. He was seeking Gentiles all the time to bring them to Christ. He was singing in praises and hymns while being in jail. And he sought out the jailer to explain to him the gospel. He sought lost people out. Who are those lost people in your life that you need to seek out? The second thing we learn about Paul is Paul met people where they were at. He engaged people relationally and was intentional with them. With Lydia, he engaged her intellectually. The slave girl, he engaged her spiritually. And with the jailer, he engaged him personally. He engaged people. He met people where they were at. And he talked to them. He communicated with them. Folks, living out your faith is great. I'm not saying that that's not Good. Living out your faith is great, but there has to be a point where words have to be said. People need to hear the gospel from you. And remember, the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. The Holy Spirit was the one who opened Lydia's mouth, uh, opened her heart, excuse me. He opened her heart. All Paul had to do was communicate and talk. Folks, if you will communicate the gospel, if you'll simply speak it, the Holy Spirit will do the work. We just have to be available and be willing to be used. We also learn about Paul that Paul always remembered that he was to be a constant living witness for the gospel no matter how messy it got. Paul got dragged into the streets. He got thrown into a dungeon. He was twisted up and mangled. And yet he was still singing praises and hymns to God. Because the gospel was the essence of who Paul was. The gospel drove Paul in everything that he did. Folks, preaching the gospel will get messy. There will be times you might get made fun of. There will be times people might criticize you. But remember that we're not living for this life here. We're living for the life to come. We have a great big mission field out among us in Mechanicsville, in Richmond, in the world. Why wouldn't we share the gospel? If the gospel has truly changed our hearts and truly changed our lives, why wouldn't we want to tell people? Why wouldn't we want to bring it up? Why wouldn't we want to share the power of the gospel? Fourthly, we learned that Paul was driven by the gospel. It was the very essence of what defined his life and his lifestyle. Is the gospel what drives you? Does the gospel define who you are. I heard a story one time of a pastor. He went to a church, had his first deacons meeting, and uh, he asked them to ex the deacons to explain the gospel, and none of them could give a clear description of what the gospel is. Folks, is the gospel the essence of who you are? Does it drive your life? Does it drive everything that you are and everything that you want to be? It drove Paul, didn't it? He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but Christ lives in me. Why? Because the gospel drove his life. The gospel drove his life. 
in Lynchburg, Virginia, Thomas Road Baptist Church started out with 35 members. Jerry Falwell, for a year, went to 100 doors a day, and he knocked, and he just witnessed to people and preached the gospel. You know, after one year for their one-year anniversary service, they had 864 members present at the first service. Why? Because Jerry was driven by the gospel. Paul was driven by the gospel. Does the gospel drive you? Does the gospel drive your life? And finally, Paul was always willing to do life with people. He always did life with people. If you read in verse 40 and you continue on, you'll find that Lydia and her household had converted. After Paul got out of the dungeon, he went to her household and he stayed there with the people. He encouraged them and then he left. He lived life with people and he kept communicating the gospel. Folks, you know, in, in, in our lives today, I, I, think, I think we're a little too spiritually constipated. We have all this stuff that we like to hold in, but we don't know how to get it out. We don't know how to get it out. Folks, I implore you, when you go from this place to preach the gospel, Paul said in 2 Timothy 4.2, he said, to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, preach the word. That's our call. Look, the gospel changed the church of Philippi. The gospel changed the whole community because Paul preached the gospel. It took one man. Three people converted, households converted. Ten years later, Paul writes the book of Philippians. That very same thing can happen here. It can happen in Mechanicsville. It can happen in the entire world if God's people will just do what they're supposed to do and preach the gospel because that's our commission. Won't you leave this place today preach the gospel? Let's pray. Father, preaching the gospel is a heavy task and is one to not be taken lightly. You call us, Lord, to preach the gospel in season and out of season, and you call us, Lord, to make the gospel the essence and the lifestyle of who we are. And I pray, Lord, you would move in anybody's heart this morning that just needs you, that, that needs the gospel, that needs the saving grace of the power of God to come into their lives. Lord, move today. Challenge us to take the gospel with us. May we live every moment of our lives for the gospel and make the gospel the essence of who we are. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask you to make the gospel the very essence of your life today. And if you don't know Christ, if you've never met Christ, I'm going to ask you to come and give your heart to Jesus and surrender your life to him. Maybe you need to be like the jailer and say, you know what, I'm tired of living my embittered life. I'm tired of living the way that I'm living, and I want to believe. I want Jesus. I want to surrender my life to him. Maybe you're like the jailer, and you need to say, you know what, I'm tired of trying to reason out. I need the grace and the love of Christ. Won't you do that this morning? Come forward, give your heart to Jesus. As we stand and we sing together.
intentional about our walk with Christ. It is essential in anything we do to be intentional with people, to allow them to see the love of Christ in us and to share that love with them through our words. Thank you, John. I'm glad John's with us this summer. I always appreciate the time that he's here. to us and with us this summer. Uh, the benediction will also be the blessing for those who are going across the pew, okay? Just want you to make sure you know that because they will start serving when you get over there and they ask me to pray and I won't get over there as quick as you do. So I'll be in here. But I'm glad that you've come to make this service a part of your day. And again, thank you, John, uh, for uh, bringing us the message this morning. Let's bow for a benediction. Gracious Lord, as we depart today, it's working now, we are grateful for the power of your love, for the gift of the gospel, and for what it gives to us. May we take that gift and share it so that others might hear. We pray, Father, that as we depart from this place today, that you will bless the food that we are to receive. We're thankful for those who gave of their time to prepare it for us. May we, as we spend time around the table, recognize the gift of love that comes to each of us who has given their life to Jesus Christ. As we depart, Father, may we depart in peace, knowing that the gospel indeed saves us. In the name of Jesus, amen.